Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. If I found a church that they were very open about, we will sit with you. We're not going to fix you. We're not going to slap a scripture on it. We're going to love you, and we're going to love you well by just coming alongside you. And it seems so passive and inactive, and it's so not, and it's very, very powerful. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support. I'm your host, Pastor Paul Johnson, and we're going to do something a little different for this program. We're going to hear from a group of Christian therapists that made up a panel discussion on trauma at a recent Life Support conference. The moderator is retired therapist Terry Hands, and the panel includes therapist Julie Hall, Susan Broadwell, and pastor therapist Dan Munson. We now join that panel with moderator Terry Hands. One of the things we've talked about is that um, the pastors are expected to be the ones to take care of all the people who are hurting and in trauma, uh, or they delegate it to the uh, care team. Uh, but there is in every pew somebody who is suffering from any type of suffering at that moment or will be at some point. Um, so here's my question for you. Um, what would you say is the bottom line that you want our life support churches to be? How do you want us to be? Really being a, a place um, of deep listening to be looking for those individuals who maybe are, like you mentioned, kind of sitting in the back, or um, body language can often tell us a lot about what's going on with someone. Um, it, it isn't always one thing, so it's really, it's really learning how to listen for that and, and being prayerful about that, maybe before coming to church or events. Um, you know, how, how can you work through me today with anyone I meet? I know that that's what's helped me the most in my work as a therapist is really having quiet time in the morning and really praying before each client and after each client leaves. Um, so then, you know, it's not all on us to figure it out, what to say. It's really um, that preparation helps a lot and then just a deep listening. I think what I would say is I would love churches to convey that message that we are a ministry of presence. We will sit with you in that pain. It's very much what you said, and I've experienced it from my own trauma, my own grief, and also being on the front lines and helping people in my practice. But sitting with someone means you're bearing the weight. You can't carry that weight. It's not yours to carry, and Jesus doesn't ask us to carry that weight, but he does ask us to be you know, Jesus was skin on. So really, you know, if I found a church that they were very open about, we will sit with you. We're not going to fix you. We're not going to slap a scripture on it. We're going to love you, and we're going to love you well by just coming alongside you. And it seems so passive and inactive, and it's so not, and it's very, very powerful. A place of, to start maybe um, is to say, uh, Holy Spirit, um, show me who it is. Lead me to that next conversation. And then uh, not try to make it happen. Wait for that phone call. Wait for that situation where you see that person. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that. And then commit to that 15 minutes, not a day always, but a coffee or commit over the next several weeks and months to connect with that person, to listen, to have a, there's healing in listening. And just listen and Jesus will show up. How do you get the church and the congregation? I didn't give you this question, but how do you get the church and the congregation to realize it is the body of Christ? Because right now they do believe it is up to the care team. How would you do that at your churches? I think the training is pretty essential to that because then there's conversations about this and people can see that really anyone is capable of walking alongside someone who's grieving or going through any kind of emotional suffering uh, or any suffering at all for that matter. And it's empowering to just receive information and, and then be able to be prayerful together and talk about these things. And I think it helps people feel more equipped um, to reach out. Oftentimes, I feel like we are a culture that wants to fix it. We want to have a program. We want to have a design. We want to have the next steps to get to that healing place. And it's not linear, and it's all over the place, and it's crazy. But if the church could provide maybe not essentially a program, but again, that message connoting that, like, we care. We're a ministry of presence. We're going to come alongside you. And like Dan said this morning, it's Jesus in you. So equipping your lay people to be Jesus and to convey that message. And for that training, I think about it being uh, every opportunity from the pulpit for the senior pastors or in any group to be truthful about what the church is. I, I stopped. I just never say anymore. I usually don't say never. Didn't say ne- don't say never. But in this case, I never say anymore, come to church or this church is whatever or this church can I help give to this church. I, I say Welcome to you, sanctuaries of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to you, the church. Welcome to you, the ministers. And anticipate the power of the Holy Spirit doing something very powerful this morning in worship. And oftentimes, that's, they haven't heard that. They've maybe heard it somewhere, but we go right back to talking about the church being the program, the institutional place. It's not an organization. It's an organism. Just train that from every place you can say it. Train people up. <laughs> That we're a place of being, not doing. It's not all about programs. But I think that's where we put our emphasis a lot of times. Um, So most churches have uh, a mental health professional within their church. Maybe they have one or they have several. Um, And we have been trained on how to listen, ideally, um, although I didn't really listen as well as I think I could have now that I've retired. Um, My wife doesn't think I've learned anything yet. (laughs) You learn better after you've been through things. Um, But how do you think we could utilize the mental health professionals within our churches? And then how how can we get this across to them that uh, that it's about being and being present? Well, I think that um, there should be a, a plan, you know, for when... When there is a congregant that's suffering, if there's a plan um, and, you, and you're well informed about the therapist in the congregation, what are their areas of expertise? What are they willing to do um, on a moment's notice? Or are they available for referrals outside of church? I think having a, um, 
having conversations about that in advance is really helpful. Then there can be a more immediate response uh, when the need arises. And um, yeah. Um, I would just add, ideally, it would be really awesome if it was someone that had a similar experience, someone that has walked the road of suicide or homicide or terminal illness and death, those sorts of things. There's just a deeper level of empathy that really cannot be described. Um, and we know as therapists, the science-driven piece of us, their brains have been restructured. This trauma actually rewires their brain and changes it. So ideally to have the science-driven piece in a spiritually knowledgeable community that loves like Jesus would be like the bomb. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> right, and, and therapists, by and large, trauma therapists know about that, um, the brain piece, and that when you can sit with someone who's been through a trauma, um, there's a way that they've had experience, um, you know, probably many years day in and day out of really sitting with someone and there's a resonance that occurs that allows that healing to start to take place, even without words. But also having that knowledge of how um, that trauma can be held in the body and in the brain. And it's, it's hard to really access that. There's an overwhelming feeling, but they often need tools uh, along with you being present to them. Uh, and that's something that a therapist could begin to provide for them to integrate those, those skills into their day-to-day -day life and help them feel like they have um, the ability to overcome and to heal. And of course, integrating faith into that, I think, is essential. Figuring out some way to um, break down the mistrust between therapist and ministry, pastoral ministry, church ministry, body of Christ ministry, because I get the chance to be in both roles all the time, every day, every week in both roles. And that empowering piece and unleashing the therapist within the congregations is kind of scary for some. They're not sure what philosophy, they're not sure if they're going to really deviate from the word of God. Is it going to be more kind of mushy? Is it going to be light on sin? You know, is it going... And so having some healing conversations between the pastors and the therapists and trusting each other and developing that together so that we can unleash and empower each other, and I think some beautiful things could come out of that. So. And I'm glad you mentioned that because the, uh, there has been a history of mistrust between uh, the churches and therapists and vice versa. We were working against each other when we need each other. Um, what would you, this is not on the list either, but what would you do that you think, you're talking about having conversations. How can we have these conversations within our own churches and the community to develop that trust with each other and that we can work as partners? Start by announcing a meeting <laughs> and set up that actual meeting and have the appropriate people there and uh, God will take it from there because the people are there to be trusted and this is not only in this area, it's in regular ministry area. A lot of folks don't feel empowered in some of our churches. And we talk about it all the time. The pastors I meet with, say, we, we, I tell them they're empowered, but the pastor is so controlling that they don't feel empowered. <laughs> or the staff is so controlling they don't feel empowered. And then we find out, well, the staff has to be that way because they don't trust some of the laity. So it's figuring out getting that. I understand the dilemma there, and I appreciate it. But that we can have those, set a meeting and start talking about that, you know, and see what happens having some explanation of the process so that people get a feel for what 
the, the therapy process is. And of course, each person comes at that a little bit differently. I think that can help sort of break down the barriers and um, yeah, provide an understanding of that, that individual. I mean, I think you probably need to feel comfortable about referrals, um, know, know that person a bit more personally. Um, you know, I think when I listen to that and I, I listen to the work that you're doing, it would be so powerful if we could align together and do this work together. And, you know, in my sessions with clients, I will say, you know, I know you're not here for more information. You're here for transformation. And I really believe that if we could transform what we even view as trauma and educate people in the church what trauma really is and work together and not against each other because the bottom line is trauma is a separation from safety. Everyone wants to feel safe at their you know, very least, a sense of mattering, which you talked about today. And I do. I think you know, we're much stronger as a united front in this than we are. I think that we have to meet people where they're at. So a lot of times clients that are dealing with trauma or grief will reach out and they'll, they'll say, I, I reached out to you because I saw uh, your Christian therapist and about your faith. And then, um, you know, you know that that's what they, they want as a part of their counseling. But sometimes I'm referring to others and, and they're Christian and they say, no, I, I don't really want that. I'm afraid that they're going to um, try to maybe just quote Bible verses at me and they're not going to really listen. So it's, it's really meeting the person where they're at and asking what they want and what they need. This is Life Support host, Pastor Paul Johnson. Today you're listening to something a little different, a panel discussion on trauma at a recent Life Support conference. The moderator is retired therapist Terry Hans, and the panel includes therapist Julie Hull, Susan Broadwell, and pastor therapist Dan Munson. Now back to the panel. So one of the things, Dan, that you've talked about a lot is um, being Jesus, the body of Christ, actual body, his mind, his heart, and that we are to start that way in the day before we meet with somebody. Uh, And then in church, we're to look for the person who's uh, not with anybody, but who may look like they're alone or isolated, Uh, going to hang out at Mercy Hospital. These are wonderful ideas. Um, What can we do to impart to our congregations that they can do that too. What would you say to your church members, your congregation? Because I think they're afraid to do any of this. How do they get the courage? I'd like to encourage them that they already are salt and light. You already are the body of Jesus. Thank you for who you already are. And just know that the next meeting that you are at, that you are present, therefore the body of Christ is present. In fact, what happened to you last time you were actually with Jesus? Think what he did for you, and now you have that opportunity. See, first of all, we have to get with Jesus, though, right? That's the problem. We have, we have to get with Jesus first, ourselves. And then you have all you need. He qualifies you so that then you know what Jesus did for you, so now you know you're his body, and through you, that's going to happen for that person in front of you. It's a very powerful thing. You've also talked about how it is a privilege. It's holy ground when we're holding the hand or listening to somebody without any words said. Um, how, how can we teach this to a group of people um, 
who do not know how to do this. They feel that they've got to say something. What would you say to that group of people? I would say breathe. <laughs> you know, that really helps if in that moment you're, you're wanting to just speak over the person or fill the empty space. Um, just breathe or just say Jesus in your mind, you know, and just, just wait. Um, there's always room to say more later, but if we can just be present with them, offer a touch perhaps, if, if that feels right or they feel comfortable with that. I also want to add, I loved what Dan said earlier, you know, you have people in your office and you don't say a whole lot and you let them talk and they're so grateful and they are so grateful for that help and when in reality it was simply you drawing on the strength of the Holy Spirit and knowing that that was what was in control of that room and that's why that person had that moment of healing or that breakthrough or that transformation. And to, I don't know how we can do our jobs well um, without calling on that and knowing that it is not us it is his work and it's through him that we are able to accomplish anything and it's all for his glory I mean we know how this story ends if you're a believer it ends beautifully we all go to heaven so that's great but while we're here on earth I believe we are called just deeply called especially in our own woundedness I consider myself my wound is a sacrifice back to God like I have been through a lot 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 of trauma and I believe there's purpose in pain he doesn't waste anything and so that's where I think the most powerful moments can come in a trauma-informed body of believers is, again, accessing your own pain. And that's not to say you're talking about your story or you're comparing, and I call it the Grief Olympics. I mean, I've had a lot of loss. I would win on a lot of areas, um, unfortunately. But again, it's, it seems like we overcomplicate it, and it's so simple. It's loving them well. And to me, loving well is mercy triumphs judgment all day long. It doesn't matter if they cause their trauma. I mean, it's mercy trumps judgment. And I would just add, um, maybe this isn't something to do at the very start, but through their grieving process, you know, following up with them and continuing to do that and asking them, um, what have your experiences been? How, you know, how, how have you been um, dealing with this? And get them to start talking about, you know, maybe the, the person they're missing or what are their experiences day to day, the more that they can start talking and share their story and their thoughts, uh, the more that they can begin to heal. Very good. Yeah. Don't be afraid of silence and let that first you've, I don't know if you've heard, heard some of those studies out there, but there's that quarter of a second, <laughs> one fourth second before you say something that is the most powerful one quarter second in your life, <laughs> because you can take that breath at that point. So, before you say it, before you send the tweet, then there's the 10-second one, which is 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. What would Jesus do? Changes everything. And it just gives you time to, because it's out of nervousness for me. I feel like I, we're out of my expert position, you know, <laughs> that I need to be the one, right, to have something to say. When the most powerful thing is to have the power of silence, be still and know that I am the Lord. So, and he'll come in then. He'll come in then. Yes, and, and one of the things I've heard today is that from the pulpit on down is us telling our stories. And that's contagious, that there's a transparency and an openness. Um, so um, how can we do that more in our churches? Uh, how does that how can we do that, I guess, is one of the things. And then 
um, the atmosphere of non-judgmentalness, that you will not be judged here, mercy triumphs judgment. Um, so how can we, we start um, from our own stories? Because God gave them to us for a purpose, and we're going to use them for his glory. So how can we do this? I think, you know, oftentimes it's the it's our own personal theology of suffering, and it's the theology of suffering that we are hearing communicated from the pulpit. You know, what is, um, I gave an example earlier of some well-meaning believers, Christians, came to me when my husband was dying, and they said, one person said, if his faith was strong enough, he would not have died. And that's real, and that's that's a true thing, you know, and I guess to know that God hates it when we suffer. I mean, let's go right to scripture. It's like I stand on the word of God all day long, and he hates it that we have to suffer. He hates it that we're out of community and out of relationship, and it's due to the fall. It's due to the very beginning of this whole story. Um, But I also believe that suffering, a lot of people in my office believe that they are suffering because their lack of faith or because something they've done. And our God is not that God. And so I believe for us that are informed and we are spiritually in that place where we know the truth and we are biblically you know, informed, to come alongside them without that judgment piece, but really, really to love them and know that their suffering is part of the plan. And we're going to all walk through trials. You know, It says that we are going to have them. It doesn't say otherwise. So that sounds harsh, but it's like that gentle reminder of, Let's hear what the word of God has to say about that. And you're not suffering because it's anything you did or didn't do. When I began to meet with Jesus about this very topic, I had some times I'd shake my fist. I had times where I was pretty angry. I would uh, sometimes forgive God. It's an interesting concept. Put him in the chair, rock in the empty chair. But never letting go of the fact that he's sovereign in God. But he doesn't care if I do that. He's big enough to handle that. And in doing that, uh, he met me there. And once he met me there, I was totally convinced he would beat anybody there. And so if we haven't had that time first with him, and that's the case in so many cases because we've had enough Bible studies and enough you know, trainings, they're all good. But they don't necessarily get at recovery and transformation. They get at more information, but not transformation. Once we've had the transformation, it's easy. We just tell the story and then hope and healing, as Five Five Stone Media says, and then change happens. So just practicing that. One of the things that um, there has been that disagreement between theology and therapist is that about the faith healing and all that too. Um, But how do we bring Jesus to them, the true Jesus? And um, how do we bring that to them as we sit there? Do we not say anything to them about Christ? Do we, we just have flesh on of Jesus, his heart, his mind? Um, Do you have any recommendations of that? Is there a point where you do bring him into uh, the time with them on their beginning of their one million step journey? I think it would start with with being present to Jesus in your heart. Um, 
and, and carrying that, that presence with you. Certainly, if you know you're going to be meeting with someone, um, we can do that in a, in a moment. And um, I usually ask, you know, inquire, can we, would you like to pray? Or um, helping them feel that sacredness of him in their heart. I think the, the feeling of that is very reassuring and calming and um, can be that resource that they can begin to trust um, again because a trauma can be very, very distracting and very overwhelming. Hard to find one's center and some simple, some simple processes can help them just by bringing hand to heart can help us to calm. I know I um, always go right away to asking for Holy Spirit awareness. Um, I don't have all the answers. I'm not an expert. Um, after doing that and sitting with that, usually before I see a client or before I'm going to begin a conversation, a hard conversation with someone in a hard place, is empathetic attunement. And that just means attuning is, you know, that gut feeling, which I always believe is the Holy Spirit anyway, but sort of asking God for that instinctual, what do they need? How can I help? And it could be saying words. It could be sitting in silence. But again, um, my process is starting out asking for Holy Spirit awareness and listening to that voice. Similarly, I think about uh, the power, as we've mentioned before, the power of being. So I focus on the fact that just my being present is a therapeutic thing. And last question. We... A lot of times, uh, churches are isolated silos. Um, how can we bring this to the other churches and our community? Thank you so much, Dan and Susan and Julie. Half of the questions they knew, half they didn't. <laughs> so, thank you. Our thanks to the Life Support panelists. I'm Pastor Paul, and join me next time for Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.